Ed, thank you, Reggie and praise team. Um, wow, it's a glorious occasion to be together on Sunday mornings to worship, the first day of the week um, to worship together. And not only us here in this, this um, sanctuary, but all over the world, our Lord Jesus is being worshipped, and we worship together. Well, let me first draw attention to what you already have been drawing attention to, that smell, right? And uh, I've just been told that uh, Reggie burned his popcorn. Where is he? <laughs> Debbie, you have to tell him. He's not in. But uh, actually, it, they turned on the heaters, and there's some issue with a heater down in the, uh, in the high school and uh, they are opening up doors to get drafts to move the smell on where are safe. Okay, so don't let that, that bother you. And it wasn't burnt popcorn. Okay, so, and then let me just say a word about uh, the Spring Fest. This is a new event uh, for, for, uh, for me, for us. I, I know we've, the Ch Hills Church has done various things over the years. Uh, we do a fall fest where we uh, invite our neighborhood. We take advantage of this holiday atmosphere of Halloween, and we turn it in, invite them to come into on the grounds of the church, and we have had a great response from our community. We've had people say thank you. They have people that hand us money that have no connection to the church and said thank you. We just want to make sure you're going to do this again next year. And we've been able to then follow up on those visits. And so we want to do the same for the, the Spring Fest Festival. I'm going to call it Spring Fest, and I'll probably call it Fall Fest before it's all over, but it's not. And we're going to, you'll see the date there. It'll be, it's March. It's coming up soon. And so this is something we hope to build on over the uh, years, something we hope to do uh, again and again and again. And use it like Fall Fest to, to reach out to our, our, invite our community to come in. As, as we do in the Fall Fest, we're going to have a time of sharing uh, the gospel as they come in. We're going to take the time to do that and uh, just let them know who we are as a church. And uh, then we will also be able to invite them. The next, that'll be on Saturday uh, March 30th, the 31st is going to be Easter, and we want to draw their attention and say, you're welcome to come. Now, this is maybe my own personal little note here, but I, 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 I want to say a fall, uh, see, I said I'd say it, a spring fest egg hunt. I'm trying to separate Easter from Easter Bunny, okay, and, and, and the things, the way it has become so commercialized. We're going to take it back like we have done with Fall Fest and say it's our spring festival. And we're going to take it and use it to share the gospel. So you're invited to be a part of it. There's some sign up there. We're, you'll be hearing more and more about it. We need plastic eggs. And then can, if you buy them, the plastic eggs already feel great. If not, bring some candy. You'll hear more about that. So... Let me, uh, let me start us out again with prayer and, and just say a, say a word uh, there as we get uh, studying this, this incredible passage out of um, John chapter 21. Lord, we come to you again and, and, and just are so grateful, Father, that we can come together and um, 
with all of the anticipation of you speaking to us, of us hearing your voice through the Scripture. We ask that you would continue to cause us to recognize your ways and your voice as we already have in the music and the other parts of worship, Father. Help us to recognize, continue to recognize as we give our minds and our hearts to you and to the prompting of your Holy Spirit through your word. We ask this always, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in... This uh, is a continuation when uh, the times that I've been in the rotation to preach, I've been preaching, we've looked at John chapter 20 several different times. And so now we're going to move to John chapter 21. And uh, this is a, I'm telling you, it's a, uh, I want to encourage you just to, um, after the worship, throughout this week, read this passage over again, at least verses 1 through 14. And then the rest of the chapter, 15 through the end there, is also very fulfilling. And it, 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 it asks for, it invites, as we see, it invites us very clearly to do that, to investigate, look at, consider, study. It, it's, it's so obvious in this passage, and we want to see that. So what's the big picture that leads up to the, this closing chapter of the Gospel of John? And uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That ought to be our first point of interest to draw us. This is the gospel of John. John was referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. You see that in chapter 21, verse 20. And you see it through in several other places throughout the, the uh, chapter. So that says something to us about this, this book and, and, and what John is uh, going to reveal and what we see in this, this uh, closing chapter of the book. Uh, some of the big, a big picture here is, is uh, really, John wanted to clear up a rumor uh, going around that he wouldn't die. Did you know that? Look at chapter 21, verses 20 through 23. John says, uh, I'm not going to read it just for time's sake there, but he pretty much said, if you read that, you're going to find out that there was a rumor going on that or, or word was being spread that he would not die. And uh, I think that's verse 20, 23. So, he, so the saying spread around among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. And John went on to say, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus was just saying, if I want him to stay alive, saying to Peter then he will live. I'm Lord. If not, but that's not what, Peter, I want you to focus on. I want you to follow me. And that's the a, that's a powerful words. He just says, follow me, Peter. And then, so John wrote that, I think, to clear up to uh, the believers as, the, he, as his book would be read by new believers and then the birth of the church in the church. So he wanted to clear that up. That was not, uh, he was not continuing to live Somewhere mysteriously, John cleared that up. Then also, John wanted his readers to know that Peter, I believe, was forgiven of denying Jesus and restored to serve as the front man for the disciples in taking the gospel of grace and forgiveness to the world around them. In, in, in chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, this is what is covered there. That Peter is restored. 
And he becomes a kind of a lightning rod at the crucifixion of Jesus and the time when all the disciples uh, deserted Jesus. Peter was centered out and, and focused in on as denying Christ three times, not once, not twice, but three times. And the early church would, would need to know what, what, what happened to Peter. And this became a real uh, hot point as persecution later as the church was um, going through persecution and uh, the, about denying Jesus. And, and so I think John wanted his readers to know that Peter had been restored. Uh, the chief among sinners almost. I mean, he, den he denied Christ three times. So that's behind verses uh, 15 through 19. John clears up those things in those verses and more. And, and there's so much more in verses 15 through, uh, 15 through the end of that uh, passage there. And we're not going to go into that today. That's maybe another message uh, to preach on as, as, as J Peter is restored and God tells, asked him three, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? That's powerful. But John has done that. He cleared up he, that they were mistaken about what Jesus said, that he would live forever, and then that, that Peter was restored and, and called to be the point man to lead out in the disciples taking the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of grace to the world. So we have these two reasons, that, that, and it's covered. Uh, but it, some people say, well, you know, this is a, a, a interesting ending, chapter 21 in itself, because it seems like that the book could have ended in chapter 20, verse, 20 uh, verse 30 and 31. It's a very good ending in itself. And uh, it's, look at there, it says, in G, John, look at John, uh, chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus said, did, did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing them, you may have life in his name. Some writers say, well, that in itself is a good closure why chapter 21? Well, I gave you two reasons that, that kind of you find in verses 15 through the end of the chapter. He's disputing this, this rumor going around, and he showed that Peter was uh, restored. And, and I think those are valid reasons that, that, that John went on and had this uh, chapter 21 he, he completed or he finished, he, 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 he wasn't ready to end it with chapter 20, verse 30. He said, I want these things to be known. But then as we come now to chapter, uh, to verses, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, there's something else that draws our attention. I want us to consider what John is saying in verses 1 through 14. And how it fits in the bigger picture of the gospel, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the gospel that, that, that uh, John want, has proclaimed in his gospel. So now we're going to focus on those, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And we've already kind of seen what maybe a little bit of why 15 and, and the finish of the chapter, but look at this amazing. Um, verses that, that 
Ted's read for us and that we have before us today. Look at verse 1. After this. So we want to see why this chapter uh, 21, verse 1 through 14. What does it have in the big picture of the gospel? Why was it so important that, that John wanted to, to put this in, 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 in he, couldn't, he couldn't close his book without putting in these verses. Why? Well, let's just look at it. After the, it, it says in, in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, after this. What is this? After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of T Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Well, at, this is the third time we're told that after this, what is after this? Well, this is the third time that Jesus has uh, um, revealed himself to the disciples uh, after the resurrection. It says it in verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples after the resurrection. The first time was in the up, an upper room after on resurrection day. You know, the disciples were hidden behind locked doors. They were scared, and Jesus just appeared, and uh, he revealed himself to them, said, Fear not. He showed them his hands and his feet, and, uh, and, and blessed them, and even sent them. He even restated for them that they were called to be uh, omissions, that they were, it said in that, that, that upper room, it said, peace be with you, and as I have, the Father sent me, I, see, I, I, I send you. He tells them that the, the Holy Spirit will be their source of power. So that's the first time after the resurrection that Jesus revealed himself. The second time was eight days later, because in the first appearance, that Jesus had after the resurrection of the disciples, Peter wasn't there, right? I mean, Thomas wasn't there. Peter's there in both of them. Thomas wasn't there, but it says uh, in, in chapter 20, verse uh, 26, eight days later, his disciples in, uh, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So the first time Jesus appeared, showed himself to the disciples, encouraged them, and, and, and then just appeared and just disappeared. And it was, it was, it was earth-shattering to them, to say the least. But the Lord had risen, and they knew it, and they saw it. But Thomas wasn't there, so Jesus appeared a second time to Thomas. And, and again, Thomas is just, um, he, his, he, Jesus says, do not be, do not disbelieve, but believe. And he shows, he offers his hands and his feet to, to Thomas. And Tom, all Thomas can say is, my Lord and my God. He too has seen the risen Lord now. And Jesus has established that, right? John says something very interesting, though, about this third time. And this is what just drew me into this passage and I hope it draws you into this passage long after this Sunday morning. And it's this. Jesus revealed himself again, again, after the two times we just talked about, to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. That's very interesting. He had revealed himself. It could be the same word as man, manifested himself. Which is always referring, John is referring to re, re, manifesting, showing, revealing his glory. 
And, and he's saying, G after the, these two times. Here's the third time. And he's saying, it's so, you, I cannot close the book of John, my gospel about Jesus, without writing this and letting you see it for yourself and understand it. So, that's, it's a very interesting statement. And it just begs us, don't it, to study this. He said, Jesus revealed himself and he did it this way. What way? You're saying, you know, if you're reading, reading the book, you're saying, well, what, what, what's the ways? What are you talking about? What, what caught your attention, John? John's statement, I think, is, is just saying, look, uh, consider, look at this passage. Uh, what Jesus wants you to see about him. He's saying, look, uh, he, he, uh, he revealed himself, manifested himself in this way. Study it, consider what Jesus wants you to know about him and about following him as a disciple. John says, I need to write this, I must write this, so that future believers and you and I today in the church would understand what he and why he revealed himself as he did. He was making statements about being a follower of Jesus Christ that his disciples needed to hear in that moment and you and I need to hear again this morning. So let's look at these verses. The full boat of, of uh, verse 1, the full boat of emptiness is what I kind of call this. So as I was studying, I gave different portions of this passage uh, a name. And it's, the first thing you, hear, you see is, is this full boat of disappointment and emptiness. emptiness. But they're at the Sea of T Tiberias. Uh, you see that in, in verse 1, uh, the Sea of Tiberias. This is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And listen, the angels at the resurrection told the ladies who came uh, to the empty tomb to tell his disciples to go to Galilee and Jesus would meet them there. So they're there in obedience. I mean, they were told there to go there. They were told to go there. And so they're there in, in obedience. Um, seven of his disciples, we notice, you look at, look at the list there. Seven of the disciples met in Galilee, and their name's Simon Peter and Thomas. You know, I wanted to check this. I didn't have time to check it. I wonder if these two names were ever list in the list together like this. Simon Peter's always first because he rose to be the leader, and he was chosen to be the spokesman, the point man for the disciples throughout the rest of Scripture. But Simon Peter and Thomas... I think it's very interesting that they're in this boat together. I mean, at this point, who are they? Who are they known as? Simon Peter's the one that denied Jesus, right, three times. And Thomas is the one that took so long to believe. He doubted. So you got these two guys. It's an interesting pair, isn't it? But he's there with Simon. So you got Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two other unnamed disciples on this boat. And uh, apparently, as they waited, uh, Peter says, uh, I want to go fishing. I'm going fishing. Okay, so that's really, uh, uh, we'll start right out after the list of names in verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. I'm just going to stop right now. Um, was, was he and the others uh, that joined him disobeying Jesus? 
some, some Bible teachers says yes. Uh, that he wasn't waiting at the mountain that is indicated in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 16. So some say he technically was in disobedience. Jesus didn't say, go to Galilee and go fishing. Um, so some, some believe that really that, that he was in disobedience. And, and uh, he led these other disciples in this act of disobedience. He says, I'm going fishing. Was Peter saying he was quitting the team of discipleships and returning to his old livelihood? Some Bible teacher says that he was. Uh, he was being a bad influence on the others and that he was cashing in the chips. He's saying, I'm going back to the old life. Uh, one one uh, a grammatical point that is, is brought up sometimes that, that people that, that say, Yes, he was, he was turning his back on, on his, his uh, life as a disciple. Is this the definite article at, at the word, they got in the boat. And it indicates that it belonged to one of the disciples. Like maybe one, maybe they kept it, uh, maybe Peter kept it on the side there, you know, to say just in case this falls through, I've got something to fall back on. You ever done that? It kind of, you know, it could be that. But the Bible record is really not clear on their motive for going fishing. But I see Jesus revealing himself in these, in these specific ways to teach them something. The abiding principle of following Jesus. I'm not, you know, is it, are they in disobedience or not? Boy, I don't know. What, what was their motives? I don't know. But I really believe as we look at the way that Jesus brought about this manifestation of himself before his disciples, that he was wanting to teach them the, the abiding principle of following Jesus. See, they have all just <clears throat> been, they're felt, they've all just flunked out of discipleship school, you know? They, they just blew it. You, and and you, you're the first two in this list, you got Simon, Peter, and Thomas. They just blew it. And the rest of them are easy to follow, too. I think they're feeling defeated. They're wondering what in the world, how could we ever go back? Uh, we failed. We flunked. And uh, I think Jesus is revealing himself in a way that would bring them back to the principle that he taught them in John 15, 1 through 5. If you want to look at that with me, that's on page 901. That's John chapter 15. I'm going to read that verse, these verses, because I think this is a, another way, a miracle revealing himself, that Jesus is bringing back to these defeated disciples, these men who feel like they have failed uh, the living God. And Jesus is wanting to teach them something about discipleship that they need to know now and throughout the rest of their ministry if they're going to be followers of Jesus. And it also goes for you and I today. Listen to this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is chapter 15 of John, now verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear, the, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
The word, because of the word I've spoken to you. Now verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I kind of feel like this is the same principle being taught now in a visible uh, way. G J John wrote about the seven sign miracles. That was one of the key things about the book of John. John brought out seven uh, miracles that he calls signs because they were signs that pointed to Jesus as being the Messiah, the Lord. And so this is the last of that, those seven sign miracles, pointing them out. And I believe Jesus is pointing out, you know, John said, I just can't get away from this, that he revealed himself in this way. What is this way? Why is it so important? I believe it's this, it's the abiding principle that Jesus wants you and I to know today as disciples, his disciples, the abiding principle of a, of being a disciple of Jesus is the most important thing that we can understand and learn and apply to our life. So apart from me, you can do nothing is what the, the verse in John chapter 15. He talks about the vine. It's a, it's a verbal expression, you know. It's, it's a parable. Uh, not a parable, but when he speaks to them in John 15, he, 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 he visualized it was a picture word. It's a word picture. They had seen vines. They probably had trimmed them as boys or whatever. And so that was a, a word picture. And I think Jesus now is taken back. Now he's saying, guys, I wasn't just talking. That wasn't just dust in the wind, so to speak. I really meant it. Abiding in me is the most important thing that you need to know as a disciple. Abiding in me. And so he takes them now to a, a, a now instead of a word picture, he gives them a visual picture of this through this miracle of the great catch. But first, they... Um, I think this is the first, the verses there we, we pick up. They went out, and I'll stop there. He said, but they, that night, they caught nothing. I, I believe this is the miracle of the empty net. How about that? The miracle of the empty net. These are fishermen. And um, I believe, you know, a small catch, they would have been dissatisfied in. But an empty net was... Definitely not something that happened very often, if ever. It's a miracle of the empty net. They caught nothing that night. I believe Jesus wanted them to see that now that Jesus had called them and saved them, they could never be happy outside of his will. Now, whether Peter's motive was to quit the disciple, the club, of the, the, the group of the disciples or not, I don't know. But I know that Jesus wanted Peter and Thomas and those seven men and the other disciples to understand that now that he had called them and they were his own, 
and save them, they could never be happy outside of his will. Empty net. Fished all night. Empty net. This, this, this full boat of emptiness. They would not be at peace and completeness and satisfaction in anything else they attempted to do in, that was in disobedience to their now Lord Jesus whose claim over their life was lordship, they would never be happy and could not be happy doing anything outside of his will. You know, and the truth is, the most miserable people that I've ever run into in the ministry are the Christians who are living outside of God's will. God won't let you do it. If you're truly saved and he is your Lord, and you've declared that, you'll never be happy outside of God's will. And you'll make others unhappy too in your life, in your disobedience. There's an emptiness that God keeps that, that um, I think keeps before us when we try to live outside of his, his will. Because he loved, we're his. Here's the, the point being... I saved you guys. I called you out. You can't go anywhere else. I now have put my name on the line. You're in a new covenant, and I'm the covenant keeper. And I won't let you go. Nothing else you do will you find satisfaction or completeness. It'll all be empty nets, guys. Anything outside of my will. Because you're mine. The miracle of the they needed to know that they're, in spite of their failures and their inadequate feelings to continue in their relationship with Jesus and continue to do ministry in the kingdom of God was not true to the, the covenant in Jesus, the new covenant in Jesus. Let me say that again. That was a lot of words. But they needed to know, in spite of their failures and their inadequate feelings to continue in a relationship with Jesus... And to continue to do ministry in the kingdom of God. That, that those type feelings was not true in the new covenant in Jesus. They could. They have not lost their fellowship with Christ. They had not failed to the point where they have been cut off. And no longer were a part of what God was due. They could no longer be useful in the kingdom of God. The miracle of the empty net set them up to receive and grasp the sufficiency in Jesus to keep all those that the Father brings to him saved and safe. They felt like it was over, and Jesus said, No, you're mine. And I want to teach you something here. I want you to know that. I want you to know that there's restoration. I want you to know that I am sufficient not only to save you, but I'll keep you, guys. I'll keep you. So we have this moment. Uh, he, uh, Apostle Paul says it like this, the same truth. And we find that's a great thing in the Bible when you begin to connect dots. Apostle Paul said it like this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.6, this is that confidence we have 
that when we truly come to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, we come under a covenant, and He's the covenant keeper. And he, what He begins in your life and in my life, He brings to completion. And it's not based on our goodness. Now, where we, we kind of run into, sometimes some people run into some, some issues there. It, it's what He does in our life. It's what he does in our life. He keeps us. He saves us. And he says the abiding life is like the vine connected to the branch. Now, in a sense, our part is abiding, is responding to the gospel. But once we are in the vine, he keeps us in there. And the life of God flows into our life and through our lives and makes us uh, fruitful. Paul says, I know that God's going to continue. He's going to complete what he began in your, your life. Listen, are you damaged and defeated this morning by failure to be faithful to Jesus? Well, he's not through with you. If you've met him and he saved you by grace, he'll keep you by grace. And he wants you to hear this, pair, this story again out of John, the book of John. But I believe he will work in our lives to bring us, to bring you and I to emptiness without him. And sometimes that's the work that Jesus does in our lives when we um, uh, uh, begin to live or begin, have our, our ways of being outside of God's will, when we have a pattern of sin in our life. I think believe God will, will bring and work in our lives to bring us to that sense of emptiness so that we'll return. He'll block the road. He gave his life to save us. He'll keep us. Are you broken today? Have you felt like you've no longer useful for the kingdom? Maybe envy, jealousy, anger. Maybe there's another type sin that has caused you to be at a distance from Jesus. And you feel like it's over. You really don't sense that value. But I want to tell you this morning, this, this passage, Jesus revealed himself in this way. First, that empty net. To let you and I know the emptiness is to bring us back to the sufficiency of Jesus who saves us. He'll keep us. Don't linger in that boat of emptiness and disappointment. Jesus' grace is sufficient to give you his strength so you can live the life of the abiding branch. See, that's the, that's the key element there is that you abide in Christ. You abide in Christ and that his life is to flow into our life, making us fruitful. And uh, as long as that abiding... Now, our part in abiding relationship is to respond to Him. Abiding life is to be connected, that there's His life's flowing into our life. And, and when He tells us there's things that are, are not letting that happen, we need to deal with them. But it doesn't mean your life is over in serving God. It does, it, it can bring you to a point of emptiness. And, and, and he wants to, he has to sometimes to bring us to that. 
so that we'll remove those things to understand that we don't keep ourselves saved, but as we let God live in our lives, He is our strength. He becomes our strength, just like in the branch. The life is in the vine, but the branch must be connected. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are connected. And he'll keep you there. And when, you, when that connection, when that, uh, he'll flew that connection, he'll be your strength. And he'll bring forth great fruit. That's what it says in, in uh, chapter 15 of, that, of John about the abiding fruit. He says that his desire is that we bear much fruit. And that's what God's at work in your life doing. And if he needs to keep bringing you to emptiness until you return to that full and enjoying that abundant life, uh, it'll, be a, it'll, be a, it'll be a terrible way. I, the most miserable Christians I've ever met are those that are uh, outside of God's will in their lives and uh, trying to live, and uh, God won't let them do it. His life will become your life so that you can please the Father with much fruit, as it says in John chapter 15, verse 8. 15, verse 8 says, But this is, this is, my, but this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's what God wants to do in your life and my life. Once we have been attached, we become his followers then he, began, he will see it through and bring, and, and, and bring it to completion. Wouldn't, that's the life that God wants for you and I as disciples. And that's the key to being a disciple of followers, understanding that it's that abiding life that keeps us fruitful. It's not the hard work that we do. It's not the failures that se- that'll separate us. No, it's, it's that abiding life that will bear fruit in our lives. Then, then verses 4 through 8. Notice how they come to the sufficient grace of Jesus restoring them to fellowship and service. They recognize in, in verse 7. This is very he, it's interesting. Let me go back here to 15 verse 7. Uh, how they recognize uh, it, the sufficiency of Jesus' grace. In verse 7, John shouts out, it is the Lord. Well, what happened is, as you read that passage, uh, there was a stranger on the shore. And uh, the the stranger said, uh, have you called any fish? And they said, no. You know, they, they said no. But once the net was full... Uh, well, first, he, they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And the stranger says, well, throw it on the other side. And they did. They threw the net on the other side, and it's full. And that's at the moment where John put some dots together, and he shouted out, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And, 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 and Peter recognized it and jumped into the water, right? Got dressed and jumped into the water. You know, at the first, uh, the voice on the shore was just a stranger. And you know, a Christian, I believe, living with condemnation and shame in their life before God 
Sometimes God's voice is like a stranger, don't even recognize it. A rebellious, stubborn, self-centered Christian will miss the closeness of Jesus and the voice of Jesus. It can happen. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, but Jesus can become a stranger and we don't recognize his voice. We, don't, we, don't, we miss his closeness and the pleasure and the joy that he is, is wanting to bring and the Christian life is meant to be. Jesus, but Jesus got their attention when he got when he um, he he told them to throw the net on the other side, and then it became the it became the miracle of the abundant catch, didn't it? There was, I think, the miracle of the empty net, but now he got their attention by the miracle of the abundant net, and he said, John said, "It's the Lord, it's the Lord." Jesus led them to connect the dots with the abundant catch, this abundant catch. You can't do anything apart from me, but now with this catch, it's, begin, the lights came on, the dots, they begin to connect the dots. Only the Lord, I can hear John saying it, this is the Son of God. Only the Lord, the Son of God has the power over creation like this. It's... You know, it's a repeated, this, this same type of miracle is, is kind of repeated on the first day that they, were, they came to know Jesus and follow Jesus, the disciples, in, um, in, in the book of, of, um, of Luke. And so it, it's like they, they're reliving this when they first were called and uh, when Jesus read, told them to push out into the, the deeper waters, and just about the same thing happened. It's a repeat of that day when they first followed Jesus. When, when Peter fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he called them as his disciples to be his fishermen. It's the Lord. The only response to you and I, if you recognize the voice of Jesus calling you, from where you're at, is to come to him like Peter. Now, those, uh, you know, come to Jesus, whose voice we hear in Scripture, in circumstances. Some, like Peter, jump right in and, and go all out. Others come and respond to Jesus like those in the, in the boat, in verse 8, where they just came on. But the thing is, they all came. And that's the important thing to as believers in our lives. Listen, wherever you're at, you may feel defeated. You may feel like you've lost your opportunity. You feel like you're under God's judgment. But if he's really yours, he saved you by grace. He'll keep you by grace. And he wants you to experience the fruitful life that only he can give you. And that comes from that abiding life, that abiding in him, abiding, being that obedient walk, that keeping our lives open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, keeping our lives open to the Word of God in our lives as He speaks to us. His voice, they recognize it, began to put it together. They jumped in and they went, went ashore. But they all came knowing, knowing His voice, His ways, and His abundant grace to restore His disciples to a fruitful, abiding life. The abundant catch was secondary, really secondary, to the, the abundant grace that God was showing them in Jesus Christ. Is he, he now is, is 
he's already met them in the upper room. They know he's, he's alive and he's, his mission's going on. But now they're beginning to see he's not cut us off. He's inviting us to come. We, there is new life. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is restoration in, in, in the following Jesus for those who trust him. Do you hear him in your circumstances today? Do you hear him in the circumstances of your life? Do you hear him in, in the emptiness, in the roadblocks that Jesus has put before you? Well, his call is for you to come back and come to him that he might restore you and bring you to the fruitfulness that every believer should be living in. And let you... <clears throat> You are his, and he will never let you go. You know, Romans 11, uh, 29 says, For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. The call of the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Listen, there's no reason to live at a distance from Jesus. If you failed, if you've... Um, Felt like you've let him down. I want you to know that in scriptures you can hear his voice saying, Come, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to, to know the fullness of living the life of God, living that life through you in that abiding relationship. And so the first response is just to come to him and say, Look, Jesus, here I am. You saved me by grace. Keep me by grace. I live by your grace, Lord. And watch the fruitfulness return to your life. That fruitfulness. God's got an investment in you. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you to be fruitful inwardly. And then outwardly as your life is shared with other people. Um, it's kind of like, I hear this. Then Jesus says in verse 12, let's, let me finish up with this. Verse 12, Jesus says, come eat breakfast. Come have breakfast. Um, I thought about this. And, and it reminds me of a lot of, of when Jesus called out and says, come to me all who are labored and burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest or heavy laden I'll give you rest come to breakfast I think as a call for his disciples they knew it was saying look I, I'm, I'm ready to restore you come sit and know me he didn't start giving them work assignments he said come sit with me come know me restore that abiding relationship because there's no other way to be a disciple. You'll fail over and over and over again as the Lord's disciple if you try to live the Christian life on your own. Jesus is saying, come now, have breakfast with me. Learn of me. And let the fullness of God be restored in your life because he wants you to be fruitful. Come, he said, come have breakfast. You can't serve Jesus until you know his grace. That grace that will sustain you is the same grace that saved you.
Come, he says, come eat breakfast, come know me. You know, if you read on there, when you read back over this week, you'll notice that nothing's really said at the breakfast. It's not, it's not, there's nothing said. The only thing that's said is in verse 10 when Jesus says, bring some of the catch that you caught and put it with the food that I've already made. It's like Jesus is getting them to add what he had already provided. And, and so much of our life is that, listen, Jesus has provided so much for you and I. He invites us, come bring it and put it along, add it to all the blessings that God has given you. Put it, put it, let's bring it together. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. If my words are in you, I will abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. You'll be a changed person. We call, we use the words here at the hills, changed. A changed person, transformed as the living God. As Jesus lives his life through us in that abiding relationship. Jesus then serves them. Serves them breakfast. They must have remembered him washing their feet. You think? I do. You see in John 13, Jesus washed their feet. And I think they knew that Jesus serving them that breakfast, the Son of God who just did this miracle that filled the net, just standing in a boat that had an empty net, they fished all night, and they said, thought the right and this living God that, that, that filled that net was serving them. I think they, they knew that the evidence of Jesus' abundant grace that had saved them and restored them, forgave them, would be how they were to administer the grace of God to one another and all the others that would come to follow Jesus. In other words, to serve. And you can't, you can't give grace if you don't have not experienced it in your life. But I invite you today to respond to Jesus. If you're a believer, this, first, this passage mainly, I think, would be applied to you. It, 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 if you know Jesus as your Savior, he'll keep you by his grace. You need to respond to his voice just like the disciples did. They were saved, but they still had to respond, right? They jumped out. He said, come have breakfast. They could have stayed in that boat of emptiness. But that empty boat became abundance when they jumped out and responded. You still need to respond to Jesus as a, a believer. If you've kept him at a distance, as his voice, he seems like a stranger on the shore. You need to respond to him. Bring those things that keep you from him to him. And if it's something you say, Lord, I, I want to deal with this in my life. I want you to make me abundant in your life. I want to be filled. I want the abiding life. Won't you tell him about it today? You can do it right where you're at. You can come to the altar. But, but respond to that voice, that abiding voice. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you'll fail more than once. And you need to know that Jesus still calls you by his grace back to breakfast. To have breakfast every once in a while. Don't be a stranger to Jesus. Come and know him. 
Sit with him. Be with him. Hear his voice in Scripture. Sunday after Sunday, the Word of God is, is spoken here. The voice of Jesus is, calls out to, to the congregation, to the people uh, watching on TV. Are you responding to his voice? Oh, believer, if you're living in shame and condemnation, don't stay there. Get out of the boat and come to the abundance. The saving grace that saved you will keep you, will heal you, will restore you to abundant life in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this passage has so much more to say, but one thing jumps out to us this morning that you have much grace and abundance for those who know you and that once that we come to you by the Father's calling no one can separate us from you and so Father we come to you sometimes responding to your voice with much hurt in our life Sometimes much rebellion. But God, I know that you restore those who are you, who your own, that you restore your own, and you'll bring to completion the good work that you began. Father, I pray if anyone here this morning or in the sound of my voice, your voice, God, that they would, re, would, would, would respond like the disciples and come to you and sit with you and, and have breakfast, get to know you so that they can be restored to the abundant life that you give us in that abiding life and living through us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.